The only thing that's different is now I am, I shouldn't go outside. Hello and welcome to Stream Theory. My name is Jackson from the YouTube channel Skip Intro and on the line, he is sheltering at home. It is Thomas Flights. I am at home. I don't know. Thank you, Jackson. Are you sheltering? I don't know what the the official like wordage is. Are you sheltering at home or are you just at home? I was in, I think the technical term for it is a self-quarantine because I was actually sick last week. So oh my God. I was following the guidelines to, if you feel sick, stay at home for 14 days. Um, so I'm actually on day 14 of my self-quarantine right now. Are you feeling better? Um, I am feeling much better. I was never tested, so I don't know uh, if I had it, but... Uh, I don't think so. It's being the coronavirus. A regular flu. Yes. It being the the word on everyone's tongue at the moment. Uh, Yeah. uh, Things are things are crazy in Massachusetts, too. Uh, Things are crazy everywhere. Um, Things are crazy everywhere. And if you're listening to this uh, as it's coming out, you'll obviously know what's going on. If you're listening to this years later, we're in the midst of the coronavirus uh, (laughs) shutdown, which I'm sure you know all about. Which I'm sure you've been studying in school. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a massive historical event that we're. What did our friend say? Through. He was like, in the future, they're going to be like, in 2020, the U.S. was suffering their first Corona uh, pandemic <laughs> of the 20 it suffered in the in the coming decades. Yeah, yeah. But the last two weeks have basically been this constant, like, oh well, okay, no, it's no, we'll definitely do that. It's like. I think everybody's just in denial. Everybody's just like, it can't really be that bad. Like we can't. Yeah. It's not like we're really going to shut down everything. It's not like we're really going to. And then it just progressively continues to. The thing that I kept sharing with everyone was like when when they'd be like, we're shutting down some things. I just kept thinking of Mike and Breaking Bad being like. You got to go full measure, man. Can't go half measures. <laughs> no half measures. <laughs> I was like, this is just that we're going to end up in the same spot where you just got to, you should yeah. just go there now. But well, we, we, we can only hope not. Um, right. Right. So uh, oh, people yeah, presumably, uh, well, at least you and I and a lot of other people have a lot of extra time at home uh, right now. I'm curious just on a personal level, if uh, you are spending more time watching stuff, um, and if so, what's your sort of like uh, quarantine, shelter in place, isolation watch project is? Okay, so this is actually weird. I've been watching much less television. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I I just have been like stuck, glued glued to Twitter. Um, yeah, which is yeah. not healthy, and I'm weaning myself off of it. But that's what I that's where I've been for the last week. Um, I've watched some stuff i've watched some really good stuff um some stuff that we'll talk about later in the show um yeah and i've i've transitioned to watching in addition to my my weekly diet of stuff i've transitioned to watching a lot more uh comedies um which have just been nice yeah. started curb from yeah. the beginning and uh that'll be that'll be nice i guess i i can't i wish there was going to be a, a curb your enthusiasm episode about the coronavirus but um right yeah that would be very interesting <laughs> uh, <coughs> oh no <laughs> It's it's uh it's got me. It lingers. Um okay, so we're going to jump right into it, I guess. Um and yeah. we have segment titles this time. Wow. We're, we're increasing our production value. Well, let's not go crazy. But <laughs> uh this this is our new segment. We're calling it This Just In. So I guess the first news that we want to get out of the way is uh, you know, 
coronavirus is affecting all of us at home, but it's also affecting television. And uh, there are a lot of things that are being delayed. The full list that I, or a semi-full list, because I can't imagine we have an entirely full list, are the Friends Reunion on HBO Max, American Idol, Saturday Night Live, FX's Fargo, uh, the Amazon show Lord of the Rings, which I have doubts will ever come out um, because of how large <laughs> it seems to be, uh, Carnival Row, their second season, uh, the fourth season of The Handmaid's Tale, the second season of The Witcher, um, and Wheel of Time, which I, I don't know what that is, but it's on Amazon. Um, anything I'm missing? Uh, I think all all netflix productions are delayed for at least two weeks is in the u.s um that was as of march 15th so i guess that will probably be extended but yeah tons and tons of stuff right now is being delayed for who knows really how long i guess is, is part of the question it's been very open-ended um yes and uh, i mean this isn't a huge problem i don't think because uh no, as, you, as, it, as you and i have talked about there's already like too much tv uh so right. yeah <laughs> getting caught up on it i feel is is nice without having like the pressure of the next show coming out but yeah i mean it's troubling for the kind of ripple effects that i think this might have um, yeah it'll it'll probably hurt a lot of the like people who are working on this stuff as like below the line production yeah camera um, camera people uh yeah gaffers lighting people editors the thing that I, I mean, the ripple effects are a lot of people who work um, below the line, as we were just talking, tend to line up in television their projects to go back to back to back. Um, yes. So because they're all kind of uh, several weeks at a time gigs. And if one show is getting delayed by two to three weeks or four weeks or whatever, that's going to throw their entire schedule out of whack. Um, and yeah. you could see these kinds of delays extending for a very long period of time, um, even past the obvious shows right now that we listed that are being delayed. You know, maybe season two of something else gets delayed. A show that I'm thinking of that I think will probably end up getting pushback is Atlanta, which wasn't even due to come out until next uh january or february but right. all of those people are in super high demand they all have other projects and all of those are going to get pushed off of off kilter so i wouldn't be surprised if that got delayed by uh, quite a bit of time we probably we probably won't as consumers see really or feel this blip um sort of in the product like in things that are coming out for you know nine six months nine months a year like a lot of the stuff that's being delayed is stuff that's slated to come out pretty far into the future right other things that i'm seeing coming up are you know they're shutting down production for the moment on all the disney plus shows uh wandavision yeah. loki falcon and the winter soldier that's stuff that's you weren't gonna see for like a year anyways yeah um but you know maybe it gets pushed back a little bit with disney it's an interesting situation where we might see some of their uh other content that was slated for release um i don't think i don't think they've done this yet that i've seen but uh, i wouldn't be surprised if we start to see maybe some of the content that was slated for a theatrical release pushed on to disney plus uh, especially if this goes on for quite a while Right. And uh, you actually have seen a couple of uh, I know that we usually talk just about streaming services, but um, and and television. But uh, you've seen a number of movies because all of these theaters are closed being pushed on demand. Um, 
The yeah. Invisible Man, yeah. which I watched last night, um, which we can talk about if, if you want to, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and uh, The Hunt are two movies that I'm thinking of. And, uh, you know, depending on how long this goes on for, you could see kind of that trend continue. Yeah. If you were listening to this podcast, hoping that we had answers for where things were going, um, we, do, we don't. Nobody has <laughs> any don't. answers. Um, everyone is just speculating. Don't listen to anybody. Um, if they tell you they know what they're talking about, just point them in the way of our podcast where we told them that they don't know. They don't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. It, I mean, the long term ramifications of this, it, to me, it seems like, you know, obviously the economy is going to um, take a bit of a hit from this whole thing. Uh, we don't know to what extent, um, but I feel like what we talk about streaming services are going to be mostly okay. I don't think this is the time when most people are, are going to be like canceling Netflix when they're stuck at home. Yeah, um, I can't imagine that this hurts Netflix at all. So, you know, obviously, if they're having to delay production, that will hurt them a little bit. But, you know, that most likely is going to be a temporary at, at worst case scenario, probably three, four months blip. You know, who knows? But uh, in terms of the actual production delays, we've seen in the past with depressions and recessions that like entertainment often will like even thrive just because it's like a fairly cheap form of escapism if you can't do other more expensive things right um, i would imagine that you're going to cancel your gym membership before you cancel netflix yes. um, while you're stuck at yeah. home yeah but uh yeah I, I i tend to agree with you i think that especially the way that we can stream things into our homes i would imagine that this entertainment is very well set up to withstand the recession that that may or may not be coming i don't want to speculate on macroeconomics really it's, right it's not uh it's, it's not our uh, it's not my corner you know <laughs> our uh, area of expertise <laughs> um i mean i can i can speculate on it all you want but it's gonna be pretty wild yeah. pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> This is not really a macroeconomic economic speculation, but, uh, you know, I, my only my only my main takeaway from this in terms of like as it relates to the streaming wars is that this sort of tension between for movies on streaming platforms like theaters versus online streaming, this kind of thing that Netflix has been battling out. This probably I feel like this obviously can't be good for theaters and is good, quote unquote, for streaming services. So it may just escalate or speed things on that timeline of like more and more things being online and theatrical releases being less and less the sort of primary emphasis. Yeah, I know that there are some I've heard some uh, movie in, insider kind of people talk. It, it, this is all just I mean, it's all speculation. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. But people saying that once you put uh, like major releases on demand, like they're like they're doing with uh, the two movies I mentioned earlier, there might be no, you know, putting the cat in the back in the bag. Is that even is that even the right idiom? I think so. Can't put the cat back. Yeah, I think so. OK, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they might it might just be, um, you know, you might not be able to put yeah. like, but I have no other word for it. You put the cat back in the back. <laughs> this this I mean, this might be we might look back on it and this is the moment where, you know, you it started being a normal thing for movies to be on streaming uh, at the same time they're in theaters and you just pay like 20 or 30 dollars, you know, to stream it at your home uh, if you want to. Which is a lot of money. 
Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's not like you would you would have to be watching it with like three or more people for it to be the cheaper or the same amount as going to an actual theater. And then you're getting less of the quote unquote experience. Um, so, you know, I'm or, sure or you're watching it several times on the same right. rent. Yes. Um, so, you know, but I, I, I this is this in a way, this is a weird force test run of things. And they might find like, hey, this actually makes us a decent amount of money. And, you know, we're willing to do this even when people can go to the theater. I don't know. <clears throat> Are you sure you're getting better? Uh, I have a little bit of a lingering cough, but uh, I, I feel great. So. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm pretty far yeah. away, so I'm not that worried about you. Uh, so let's let's uh, change topics, I think, uh, from all of this, you know, doom and gloom pan- pandemic yes. stuff uh, and talk about this interview with the president of AMC that came out on The Ringer, um, which was something that I had listened to. It's on the podcast, The Watch. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, but it, it was really interesting to listen to this president of AMC, Sarah Barnett, talk about the differences uh, between AMC, which is is kind of a smaller independent channel because they're not owned by a, a larger network like an ABC or an NBC Universal Comcast kind of thing, and the differences between them and uh, streaming. I'll, I'll throw it over to you first, Thomas. What did you find uh, interesting about this? Did you get a chance to listen to this yes. interview? And uh, what did you find interesting? <laughs> the fascinating thing to me about this was so i mean am uh, i guess first we can kind of people might not be in the know but like amc is they operate uh several smaller like they're responsible for like BM, bbc america yep and i forget the names of all of them but several smaller channels in the u.s <clears throat> and they're still operating largely I have list here hold on uh so it's oh. bbc america ifc sundance tv and they also own uh shutter the okay. the on-demand uh horror movie thing so aside from shutter all of those things are still operating as sort of like premium cable channels basically yes um and amc at least like you can't stream an amc show in the u.s there's no streaming services that have immediate on-demand um streaming right episodes uh, of you, it don't come up on hulu the next day or, yes you have to actually have television to watch amc uh so like better call saul right now you know is one of one of the few bigger shows that a lot of people are talking about where if you want to see it the minute it comes out you have to actually be watching it on on television or through like you know, if you have TV with Xfinity or something, you can. And don't forget about st- the most popular cable show of all time, uh, The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. True. Yes. Uh, that's another one of these. So they're in this weird space where like most things, most of the big shows that a lot of people are talking about, even HBO is this premium cable channel, but you can watch it on HBO now. Yeah. Immediately as the show is coming out. Um, and so they're in this weird like liminal space. But in a lot of ways, I think they still are sort of relying on um and this is something we can talk about a little bit more i guess maybe that's for later but i think in a lot of ways they're still sort of relying on streaming for something like better call saul most of the people that i know are watching it on the one year delay on netflix as it comes out um and it's it's streaming like better call saul is sold in the uk as a netflix original and streams there as a netflix original yes so they they're sort of still outside of this streaming bubble they're not amc isn't 
a streaming network, but um, they're very much sort of intertwined with the streaming world in terms of the availability of their shows and and um, where people are watching them. But all that to say, as a preface to, I think the most interesting thing to me is hearing uh, Sarah Barnett talk about how that difference affects the way that they approach choosing what content to create and exactly, the content yep. that they're creating. Yes. Yeah, so she's uh, one of the one of the great examples that she gave was um, the show on BBC America, uh, Killing Eve, which I think also has really thrived on Hulu now that people have been able to watch it um, also on a year delay. Um, yeah. I remember watching it as it was coming out because it was written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, and I'll watch anything that she she makes. So I remember watching it as it came out and trying to tell people to watch it, but they couldn't find it anywhere. And then eventually when it ended up on Hulu, it was much easier to get people to watch it. And now it's starting to take off or not. I mean, that's when it started to take off. It, it has been taken. Off, it has took off. Um, the past tense have taken off. I think that's just taken off. And they picked up Killing Eve, which might not have been in their considered in their wheelhouse before. Um, but because they are serving a very small niche audience, uh, they can kind of take a swing on that. Um, and it yeah. doesn't have to be super successful. It just has to be it just has to work within that that niche. Yeah, I think one of, one of the most interesting things to me that she talks about is this idea of uh, with a with a she kind of asserts that with a streaming service like Netflix, the the sort of top metric for a show is like you're browsing through Netflix, looking for something to distract you from boredom. And you yes. sort of might like watch something, you're distracted for a period of time and then you continue on. But Netflix is this place where you're like, I'm bored. I go to this app or I open up Netflix and I find something to distract me from that boredom. It, Netflix isn't necessarily only that, but it certainly functions in that way. Whereas, you know, I think part of what she was insinuating was because AMC still isn't this like streaming service, people seek out specific shows that they produce. And so they're much more in this space of you don't open up AMC and go, I'm bored. What do I watch? You hear about a show, you're interested in it, and then you seek it out and you sort of anticipate it. You wait for it. Um, and so it allows them to um, produce stuff that, you know, distraction from boredom, entertainment, quote unquote, is not necessarily their first priority. It's more something that's going to be engaging and stimulating on a different level, I think. Yeah, um, I think one of the things she used was uh, one of the terms she used was you're scrolling through Netflix trying to distract you from your life while Whereas with AMC and BBC America and these other properties, you're going there to uh, have an, a full experience. Um, right. Yes. And and you're you're kind of signing up for that um, because there's kind of a premium on it. You're not, you know, maybe scrolling through your phone as much or letting yourself just kind of zone out, uh, not really being with the show or with your regular life. But kind of yeah. in this it, it kind of her conversation about it kind of reached this kind of um, existential level, I found. <laughs> where she was yeah. kind of like, you're not really present in the show and you're not really present in your life. And that's kind of what Netflix allows you to do. Um, whereas this is kind of a full immersion uh, into a, a new world, um, or at least that's what they're aiming for. Um, right. Yeah. I would say, I mean, if I like were to try to, I think, critique her perspective, I think HBO is probably the greatest counterpoint to that, where it's like, I think HBO at least so far has embodied a lot of the same approach in a sense you know they're they're yeah they're 
targeting different types of shows than what AMC is, or they're producing different kinds of shows, but there's a similar focus on like, hey, we're still going to have these sort of like event shows that you are engaging a little bit more that you're going to anticipate and that you watch. They come out weekly um, and and HBO is essentially operating as a streaming service currently, you know, while still being a premium cable channel. Um, so my question, my question would be like, I see her point, like <laughs> as to why AMC is operating the way it does. And Netflix sort of is an environment that cultivates something else. But my question, I guess, is, is that necessarily not possible as a streaming service or could you carry that ethos over into a streaming service and maintain it um you know if you wanted to i think that i tend to agree with her more i think that it's very difficult for netflix to create and this is something that we've talked about in in the podcast before but i think it's very difficult for them to create event television in the way that an HBO or uh, an AMC in this case can. I think that when they release entire seasons at once, they tend to get lost in the shuffle. And um, I think there's a reason that Hulu is is kind of transitioning away from this uh, the idea of dropping an entire season at once um, where they can. And I think we're going to start to see Netflix do that sooner or later. I think that it just doesn't make sense for a new show that's coming out to drop it all at once because it do- yeah. it does not allow for it to be event viewing. And it kind of just becomes this playlist, um, almost like when you're on YouTube and you just let it play autoplay to the next thing. And all of a sudden, you know, five videos later, you're not even sure what you're watching anymore, but it's just still right. on in the background. I think yeah. that Netflix can kind of reach that level of background noise, which has its value. I, I don't want to make it sound like that is a useless or, you know, less valuable thing because lots of people use television for comfort and for background noise. And I certainly have done that with shows on Netflix like Cheers. But I think that when we're talking about the shows and the kind of art on television that you and I really appreciate, it's just very difficult to take those things as with the same kind of gravity. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you and I don't disagree with the difference. And I think that the way Netflix does things sort of incentivizes and pushes the the productions they're choosing in a certain direction. It's really interesting to see now that they have have available this top 10 uh, list on Netflix where you can see what the top 10. Uh, I don't know if you have this. Oh, yeah, on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting to see like what the top things that people People are actually watching on Netflix are because they've sort of withheld that data so far. Like every even the trending bar that you have is customized. So when you look at the trending bar on your Netflix, it's not truly what's trending for everybody. It's what's trending that they think will be relevant to you. So the fact that they now have this like top 10 list that we can see is sort of the first glimpse into like what are the really truly popular things that people are watching on Netflix. And it's it's very interesting. It's not the stuff that I would consider to be the most high quality content that's available on Netflix or the stuff that you and I pay attention to uh, necessarily. I'm looking at the top 10 in the U.S. today uh, being March 25th. And number one is Tiger King, um, which is something that I have not seen yet, but we'll be watching later tonight. Uh, All American, which is a CW drama, which I think new episodes have just come out on Netflix. Self Made, which is 
a limited series it looks like starring octavia spencer the platform which is something i've never even heard of love is blind spencer confidential letter to the king uh tom segura special and boss baby back in business which is a three-season television show (laughs) apparently oh and then also 100 humans um yes which i'm not sure what that is either um a lot of this stuff is just stuff that I've never really heard of. Um, it's a lot of the, it's, you know, I've kind of been just like keeping an eye on this list since it came out. And it's a lot of the more like pulpy sort of TLC style, like reality TV show um, and sort of like the the movies that they're putting out that don't get like a lot of critical acclaim, um, which I'm not, I'm not trying to like disparage this content or the people that are watching it. Uh, it's just interesting right. to me that like, to actually get a glimpse into the things that are doing really well for them. And it's not the kind of things that like I go to TV for. Um, It's not the kind of thing that AMC and HBO are producing. It kind of reminds me of um, the trending page on YouTube. Um, You and I both being YouTubers. I feel like I used to go there more often and now I never am there because nothing i ever am interested in watching is on there it's like a couple of music videos right. and then some of the most popular uh like daily vloggers um yeah and and that's about it and those are the things that are you know really popping in the algorithm and i wonder if we're gonna start to see you know netflix start to prioritize these shows that do really well there i think yeah. that you might already be seeing it with shows like um I am not okay with this, which is the Netflix original that is like a cross between Stranger Things and End of the Fucking World. Um, yeah. And looks like it was designed or written by like an algorithm. Um, it does. It, it really does feel like a show that an AI like looked at a bunch of popular Netflix shows and then created. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just looks incredible. like they were just. Like, hey, this checks all of the boxes of a bunch of things that are really popular here. A bunch of things yeah. that have probably been in our top 10. And if yeah. we just cross them all, we're going to do great. And yeah. Yeah, I don't know, maybe they, maybe it did. Who knows? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was in the top 10 when it came out. So I will say that uh, I don't think that there's been a lot of critical acclaim for it, um, which no, which might matter in terms of drawing new subscribers into the, the Netflix model. Um, but who knows, really? I, I'm just I'm more interested in kind of seeing them posting this top 10 list and seeing that as maybe uh, an indication of the direction that they want to be going with the content that they're producing. Yeah, I guess my broader question is like HBO seems to be succeeding as as a streaming service being HBO, not being Netflix. And I think there's a little bit of this false dichotomy where we say like, oh, you know, if you're becoming a streaming service, you have to become like Netflix. You know, Netflix is the biggest one. And so right. we imagine, you know, that becoming a streaming service means becoming like Netflix. But I think am I most optimistic? I think AMC eventually is going to have to face the music and become a streaming service. And my hope is and what I think is possible is that AMC can still continue to be AMC. It's just on the Internet now and that all the things that Sarah Barnett is talking about valuing she can continue to value and promote and create just as a streaming service there's nothing that dictates that you have to you know stop um you know doing weekly releases or whatever as you progress onto the internet and i think we'll see more diversity in terms of how streaming services operate and how they look on the internet 
you know, it'll just be like you get your TV on a website instead of a cable channel, but there's more variety in terms of how it's actually delivered to you. All right. Yeah. I think that that's, I think now is actually a really good time to transition to our uh, content discussion of the week, which we are calling trending. Now we actually want to talk about two different shows today that are both on opposite sides of the, of the streaming aisle, I think, or maybe not i guess we will we will discuss and those are some similarities here certainly yeah and those are better call saul and devs which is the fx on hulu flagship program so disney owns both fx and hulu and i think that what they are trying to do is kind of take all the fx properties put them on hulu and kind of create a a space for fx shows to live um which is great because the fx app sucked um for a really long time and now it is a lot easier to watch some a really great catalog of television shows um yeah fx is has been like one of the best uh television networks for uh i don't know this decade probably it's kind of related in that i think fx has been in a similar position to where like amc is now where like they didn't have their own streaming service they were creating high quality content that they that was getting traction on the on various streaming services um and now they've just reached this point where it's like okay we're just consolidating it's going all on to hulu we don't have to make a whole new platform the content is just going on there you know and my question is like how much longer can amc sort of last with its sort of piecemeal arrangement where it's obviously relying on some of its shows being on netflix or being on amazon prime or these different places where people can watch them um and maybe it can continue that way for a long time but i think eventually we might see them make a move similar to fx or do their own thing um but anyway devs is so devs is a show uh on (laughs) on hulu um and it is coming out week to week it is from alex garland who is is the writer and director uh he has also written and directed uh two pretty famous or uh, i don't want to say famous but uh big cult hits um ex machina and annihilation um and if you've seen those uh or if you've seen thomas's video about devs they are they all kind of embody the same space um thematic space they're all yeah. kind of about vague future it's it's sci-fi but in the vein of like 2001 a space odyssey where it's also like a little mystical yes yeah devs devs was really interesting to me because it really helped me understand sort of the thread between ex machina and annihilation in terms of like where alex garland's head is at with th- those things um because ex machina and annihilation seem very different on the surface like one is a little bit more hard sci sci-fi it's about a robot it's a very contained story the other is about like an alien hitting the planet you know all these different things as a larger cast but there but looking at devs you can kind of begin to see like what his interest is in these things that sort of goes beyond those more superficial layers i've been in i've been enjoying it uh it is we should say a mini series i think it's gonna have it's just the one season yeah yeah just the one season and he is directing and wrote all eight episodes my excitement i was really excited about it in the first two episodes i want to say for episode three and four my excitement has waned a little bit it just feels like it's taking a lot of time to cover a pretty small amount of ground (laughs) yeah Um, i can see that and i guess you know i'm i'm very curious to see where where that's headed um but uh yeah what are you what are your thoughts you're still yeah so i'm still pretty i i definitely 
uh, share some of your waning vibe. I think that's the the last two episodes i think more some of the the weaknesses of the show have come into to to more clarity um yeah. but i do want to say that i think that that's mostly because this is kind of a kind of show that it really and and this genre is really ripe to like pick nits with i think that as a as a larger project as a larger piece i think that it's really fascinating i'm I'm really interested in all of the thematic things that are going on um, in terms of, you know, he has this real I'm trying to like talk around the plot because um, one, I'm not sure exactly what the plot is Um, (laughs) and (laughs) B, because I think that you're best going in there with as little knowledge as possible. Um, I think that it's really just an experience that washes over you. But I think that something that he's really interested in that I find really interesting to listen to him or watch him talk about being him being Alex Garland is the kind of collision point of the artificial and the natural world, Um, the world that we create and the worlds that uh, exists around us. You know, you see a lot of shots um, in this this tech company that devs is centered around is in the middle of this forest um and they're like this concrete glass thing in the middle of uh tons of trees and kind of that that dichotomy the difference between those two things i think he brings into really stark clarity and one thing that i keep thinking about is how humans are a product of their environment so maybe the artificiality of the world that we create is also a product of the natural world um yeah there's a scene in the third episode where she starts she starts talking about like the fibonacci sequence and how it exists in all these natural places um like pine cones and stuff which is something that i remember from high school but it also exists all over the place in coding and stuff like that and i'm really interested to see where he kind goes with that kind of yeah i guess collision point is the best is the best way to put it yeah yeah it's very interesting and that's something we saw in like ex machina as well but i i when i first watched that i just saw like the collision between nature and technology i saw that as being more of just like an aesthetic choice um like there's yeah yeah. ex machina if you haven't seen it it's a turing test there's uh you know, a sort of tech CEO who's created this artificial intelligence and they're running a a Turing test, but it's set out in this like wilderness. They're at this hotel that is a real hotel somewhere. in it's not a hotel in the movie. It's a real hotel somewhere in Scandinavia, but it's like kind of built into the environment and it's really cool. And I just kind of assumed at the time that like that was something he chose because it just looked cool to have nature around or whatever. But then seeing the, the connection between that sort of where nature and the technology are blending together we're literally like rocks stick into the environment and protrude into the location yeah um in ex machina and then in annihilation you have this story where it's sort of like a biological force but the way it does so in annihilation is kind of based in like computers like the way that they keep talking about it in annihilation is right it's yes. rewriting the code of our dna and turning us into something else um, there's there's an interview with alex Gar- Garland, um, I use a small clip of it in my my video I did about devs um, and I can put the link in the show notes too, but he somewhere in the interview, he's talking about the alien, quote unquote, in Annihilation and he like 
misspeaks and he calls it a machine, Ooh. which I think is like a really interesting Freudian slip because I think based on that and other things that he says in the interview, like I think part of his worldview is that like a biological alien that's like sort of doing these things and this like machine, this like quantum machine aren't that different. Like they're both machines that we don't understand exactly how they work. And in both, we, we have humans who are sort of encountering this like machine One's a biological machine, one's a machine that's been created, but the what those machines are doing is sort of unknown to us and we and has a lot of like philosophical implications. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. And that's that's the best part of devs is sort of like to me anyways, how it presents that experience. And the, it really does a great job of like presenting the feeling of encountering a really groundbreaking technology. I think that devs kind of is the perfect encapsulation of the way that he thinks about the world. All these things that we're talking about really come through in devs. Yeah. And yeah. In, in the same way, all of the things that he doesn't do as well also come through in, in devs. I think that sometimes the dialogue can feel a little flat and uh, the characters are kind of not as developed as or not as deep as you might want them to, but that's yeah. because I think he's coming from a film background where he's trying to give his audience the experience of like this existential vibe. The only way to really grapple with this collision point of nature and artificiality and fate and determinism and free will is to kind of just sit in that vibe and yeah. process yeah. it because there's no right answer to any of it. Um, yeah. All you can do really is just like, experience it over and over again and i think it works really well in that way some of the maybe plot mechanics or the the characters are not quite as like long long term like thought out as well i think but that's because yeah. he's focused on this kind of vibe which really works and it's it's a he's writing and directing all eight episodes which is a pretty massive undertaking i mean you're talking about writing and directing eight hours of content yeah and it's pretty easy i think to get stretched there's a reason most of the time that has its benefits but there's a reason most of the time people don't uh do that and because i think it's pretty easy to get stretched thin over that amount of um, content, right. which is something that actually uh, Sarah Barnett talked about as well in that interview um, that I thought was really interesting that I forgot about was, but she talked about the idea of like the preeminence of the writer um, in a lot of TV and how as TV becomes more cinematic or sort of the lines are blurring in a lot of ways, there's often more of a reliance on like the director's vision becoming preeminent, which can work in some cases and be really good but you can also have this feeling sometimes of like when the director does inevitably step away from the project because they can't direct anything you feel them leave the show yeah um, basically i think uh i actually just i just uh made a video for the ringer we can put this in the show notes as well um about ozark and jason bateman's directing um and kind of talking about this idea of directing in television um and i think that devs is almost a more interesting case study for it because i feel like it kind of really highlights the the advantages and disadvantages of each of film and tv i think yeah. 
TV is so much about hanging out with characters and right. film can be a lot more about like a singular idea. And yeah. devs is very much about that singular idea, but it still works as a television show because you have to live in that vibe like we were talking about in order to really succeed. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, I think it's a really fascinating show. <laughs> the resources of the show, I think, cause you to feel the pain points a little bit more because um, in the past, whether it's Ex Machina or Annihilation, I, I think in those movies, Garland was throwing like similarly difficult dialogue or like dramatic scenes at people where it's like sort of philosophical exposition. It's stuff that's like it's difficult to make feel natural. Yes. Um, But in those cases, it's a lot less of it. He has like A-list actors to sort of deal with that and we even see them sort of like struggle yes, to like absolutely. make it feel authentic in those movies now he's doing the same thing but there's a lot more of it and but he it, doesn't have maybe the same caliber of performance available you know for eight episodes i think offerman is doing a pretty like decent job but even there you feel like sort of the i, I don't know i just think it's very challenging material um yes to try to make feel natural well i think and this reflects the reason why uh you're really into that why the first two episodes really intrigued people um and pe- uh, a number of people you and i both included have kind of felt not as excited with the the second or the third and fourth episodes you know we've reached yeah. the two hour point of the movie um where right. that kind those big ideas have kind of not fallen off but um it's time to like really center in on the characters and we're noticing yeah. that that that's not there as much um yeah. i think we're going to learn a lot about the show um as it finishes up and i definitely still recommend it to anyone who's interested in like sci-fi film or tv um, i mean it looks i this is like a very contrived thing to say but like the cinematography is great <laughs> and the <laughs> and the score is really cool um it in all of his movies he's really had this music that is very synthy and doesn't sound it sounds very foreign. Um, yeah. The the music from Annihilation, there's some like really cool uh, articles about it online that you can find um, about how it uses all of these different like key changes that are uh, unorthodox in order to kind of throw you off. And the same kind of vibe is being filled uh, in devs. Yeah, I love the I mean, there's I think it was the opening of uh, episode four was just like crazy music and just like some close up shots of like different things with and these crazy colors. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love a show that will do something like that. So do we still have time to talk about Better Call Saul? <laughs> I think we should. We might, you know, also on a selfish level, I just want to talk about Better Call Saul. Yeah. OK, let's talk about Better Call Saul, <laughs> um, which is a much I almost wanted to say a much more terrestrial show uh, <laughs> because it's on cable. It's on AMC and yes. uh, it has, you know, no aliens or uh, sci fi elements uh, that we know of. Um, <laughs> Better Call Saul. In so- it's in its fifth season now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the it's the spinoff from Breaking Bad. But it, that kind of feels far away at this point yeah it's now i mean literally it's caught up in terms of season count it really feels like the show is eclipsing breaking bad in a lot of ways not necessarily you know i wouldn't 
necessarily say better yet. Although I honestly think at this point I'm enjoying Better Call Saul more than I did Breaking Bad. Really? Wow. At, at its peak. I don't know. We'll see. But so I wouldn't say like better, but it's it's definitely yeah, it's definitely far beyond just being the prequel to Breaking Bad. At yeah, this point. It, it's not just a spinoff anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, um, uh, and I thought, did you watch the, this most recent episode? Uh, yes. I thought yeah. that this was like the best episode of uh, the, the series and maybe of like the year for, was, for television yeah, that I've seen so far. It was a really, uh, yeah, the, this one and the one right before it, uh, I both, I really love. In in some ways, I think to relate this to our discussion of devs, uh, everything that's great about this show is like the things that we were talking about devs struggling with. Like, yes these little character moments like as much as as there is that's fun about this show like the little shenanigans or schemes that you know uh, jimmy saul comes up with or the montages or all these stuff like it has its little fun moments the peak of the show is almost always like two people talking and all this like tension and character drama that's been building over seasons finally coming to a head yeah um, and that's like to me i'm like that's it embodies what can be like truly truly great about television which is like you know using the sheer scale of it to create these characters that you just you know you feel like you know so well that you've spent so much time with creating these situations where you know they're they're on a collision point or you know that some the ball's gonna have to drop at some point and finally getting to watch that after you know and it, and it's still 40 hours you. or something it's yeah and it's still just as um you know that's the beauty i think or one of the beauties of what television has to offer i mean you know where a lot of television shows are going uh like if you're watching the sopranos you're probably like not feeling like it's gonna go great for everybody right. um <laughs> but like you you really know what's going to happen in Better Call Saul and yeah. the way that they just build these characters. So it's not just, oh, you're reading the Wikipedia page and you're like, oh, yeah, well, we know that Jimmy's going to become Saul and then he's going to end up in Nebraska. Yeah. and blah. But the way that they build out like who Jimmy is, like, what is it that he stands for? Who is he as a person? And yeah. how does that change and get compromised or become this other person? That's something that I think only television can do. And yeah. I think it's it's it, I I mean, I found it very powerful. I mean, it's like the apex of like traditional television as as opposed to devs, which maybe is trying to do something very different for television. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that it's, it comes down to two people in a room talking and it often does. But I'm always wowed by how active Better Call Saul is, even though it's like not about anything that's actually like action based. Yeah, um, there's yeah. a scene in the last episode where Mike is trying to uh, set someone up for something and he is calling in like a radio. He's like hacking into the, the police radio and it's just like a very he, I mean, he's just sitting in his car plugging stuff into this like radio device and talking on it. But the yeah. way that they shoot it and the way that it's acted and the way that it's written is very dynamic and yeah. Yeah. it never feels like he's just sitting there. It always feels like they're doing something with their hands or they're they're active, even if they're not really moving if yeah, that makes sense yeah. it's a the show is a master class i think in writing in that respect where the the amount of times they take something that in a plot summary would sound fairly trivial and turn it into this like fascinating you know series of scenes that unfold in front of you is really impressive you know whether it's just like you can take a they take 
tiny events like Jimmy gets mad at somebody and tosses bowling balls, you know, at their house into this like, okay, let's create a whole scene where he finds those bowling balls in a very interesting, compelling way. Like they're constantly taking these things that feel like they should be mundane or this world where, like you said, not a whole lot of action is going on. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about it compared to Breaking Bad. Like ultimately Breaking Bad in some ways was a little bit more. It had that actual excitement element. Like there was more was actually happening. Yeah. It was more thrilling. Um, But the fact that they bring Better Call Saul like so close to that level of thrill while the reality of sort of the drama on the show is <laughs> yeah. so much more subdued um, just speaks to like the skill th- here in terms of like how they're able to elevate the drama and the conflict so well. I think, I mean, you and I have both made multiple video essays about uh, Better Call Saul. So, I mean, obviously we both love it. One of the things that I keep coming back to in everything that I've written about it is that it's a study of people who are obsessed with what they do, both for you watching the show. These people are so good at what they're doing and you get to watch all the minutiae of them putting together uh, the writing of these scenes like we're talking about or the montages or the cinematography. And it's very much a study of people who are doing exactly the same thing. You know, you're watching Jimmy try to set up someone for something else or you're trying you're watching Mike put together this like crazy uh, tire trap with a garden hose and a bunch of nails in like a really long montage. And you're just kind of slowly seeing all the pieces come together and you have such a trust in the experts behind the camera that it, it i mean it's it's great <laughs> yeah i think one thing that's with this season that's coming into clear focus for me is sort of like the broader thematic um ideas or themes in the show especially as it relates to breaking bad like these shows ultimately on a macro level are both about people becoming terrible people you know you start with walter white you start with jimmy mcgill and then we watch them become these terrible people but there's differences in in that approach like my feeling with breaking bad was very much like we're watching walt make these like series of decisions that like lead him down a path like yes he's actively choosing to become this terrible person Whereas like with Better Call Saul and part of the beauty of the show and it being a prequel and us knowing where it's headed is there's very much this feeling of like inevitability. Like, yes, it's not so much that Jimmy McGill is purposefully like going down this path to become an evil person. It feels more like that was there all the time and is sort of like he's fighting not to become that at times, but it just comes through regardless of what he does. Um, it's just who he is. And you yeah, see the same thing with Mike. You see the same right. thing with Kim. You see the same yeah. thing with Gus and Nacho. And uh, every single character has a, a, a thread of that inevitable tragedy with them. And so while like in Breaking Bad, where it feels much more like an examination of like choice or, you know, our capacity to become evil or like the capacity for anyone to become evil this this feels a lot more like it's about our nature or like who we truly are underneath in a way that like is really interesting and really complementary um to what breaking bad has done so i don't know that's just stuff that's starting to come into more uh clear focus as we like get towards the end of this show um so I don't I don't think I could have said it any better myself. So, okay, so we're going to jump to our just kind of our wrap up thing. Every month we both recommend something that's in our queue, something that we've been watching, either rewatching or or watching for the first time or just something that we're exploring. I think 
Thomas, you went first last time. Um, yeah. So I will go first this time. I've been watching Better Things on Hulu, uh, which is an FX show from Pamela Adlon. It's a single camera comedy. Like everyone else on in the TV landscape, I, there was a lot of like decade lists um, at the end of last year when we were talking about the best shows of the decade. And I think we might have been overthinking it and it might just be Better Things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the show is like... It's just so emotionally intelligent. Um, I think that a lot of times we get really caught up in the action or uh, these like big themes and stuff that we're talking like there needs to be like death or stakes or all this other stuff in order to make a show compelling when that isn't a world that any of us actually live in. Yeah. But Better Things is like so much about the emotional journeys that we all go up, go through in our everyday life and just actually exploring them and experiencing them uh, together in like a cathartic way. It just feels like really, really like accessible high art. Um, I don't know how else to say it. And it's really funny. Um, she directs at pretty much every episode um, They and stars in it. They all have like a very it has the show has like just a very strong taste um, and and feel to it. And um, I really can't recommend it highly enough. I have not watched Better Things, so uh, I might uh, check it out. I, I definitely I definitely need to find something light uh, to watch during this time. So. I will say that it's it's light, but also like not light at all. Like, um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like That's it's fair. very much about like be what it means to be in a family what it means to be yeah. like a mother a daughter a sister um you know a friend one of the things that's it's just like awesome about the show is just watching people try to be their best i know that that yeah. sounds like not that interesting because we live in this world where whenever writers want to make a character more interesting or more deep they just make them darker yeah. <laughs> they just make yeah. them like kind of an asshole <laughs> um, but there's like a lot of emotional spectrum that is not summed up in that um what about you what have you been watching thomas uh well everything that i'm actually currently watching we've either talked about this episode or previous episodes i haven't been watching that much tv although i have been I totally forgot uh, to ask you if you've been watching more or less tv at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> i've been watching question to me and i just didn't throw it back <laughs> I have been watching The Sopranos, so I guess I could recommend that. But uh, Ooh, first time, I feel like that's a yeah. We're on the we're in the last half of the last season right now. So nice. Uh, and man, is that like it's that's a good show in general. But that last there's some episodes in that last season that are the best episodes of TV. There's one where like Carmela goes to Paris. Yeah, uh, that one's great. Oh, man. Just some really good. Uh, so watch that. Uh, that's good. But I feel like that's kind of hot a, take. The Sopranos is good. Yeah, that, <laughs> exactly. I feel like recommending that is kind of uh, pointless. Um, but the thing I am going to recommend, I mean, don't watch this if you are trying to lift your spirits. <laughs> you can watch my show if you yourself. want to lift your spirits. <laughs> yes. Um, but the show that I like a lot of people at this time are turning to like various disaster movies or movies about pandemics or whatever. Um, but the show that like keeps coming back to me or like pops into my head um, while kind of all this is going on is Chernobyl. HBO's miniseries from about this time last year. And there's just so many themes in there about like our response to things, how governments respond to things, how people and individuals make sacrifices. And it's about a sort of like enemy that you can't see or like a, a problem that you can't really visualize uh, that there's a lot of unknowns about. And it's just very relevant uh, in a lot of ways. 
and I keep thinking about it. So if you haven't watched Chernobyl and you want and you're looking for that, like kind of freak out type thing, you're looking for some immersion um, therapy for your anxiety. Yes. Yeah. Uh, check out Chernobyl. It's a story about disaster and, you know, people screwing things up. But it's also a story about eventually those problems getting solved. Um, so I don't know. Take and then covered up. Uh, yes. Anyways, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, you know, it feels like maybe a little too apt for me. But uh, no, I think that it's I think that it I mean, uh, yes, Chernobyl's amazing. I totally yes. agree. <laughs> um, where can they find you, Thomas? Find me on the Internet, YouTube dot com slash the Internet. Uh, Thomas Flight. Uh, yeah, I've you know, normally I go around. I do these tours, these in-person sort of events, uh, but that's all canceled. What does a Thomas so, Flight live show look like? <laughs> it's uh, is it's it just like, you pointing to Scorsese movies being like and in this shot it looks great <laughs> yes yeah no i just sit you down i put on scorsese and i walk out of the room that's uh sounds great that, honestly yeah no so uh yeah due to recent events i've moved entirely <laughs> online <laughs> so if you want to see what i'm doing you can go to youtube.com slash thomas flight and uh and find all my stuff there i have i just did a video about devs and uh i have something about Better Call Saul, theoretically coming out for Netflix soon. Ooh. So, uh, cool. Yes. More Saul content. Uh, yeah. You can find me at Skip Intro on YouTube, and you can find some of my videos on The Ringer's YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter to kind of get the whole shebang. My Twitter handle is JackAPN2 because I made it when I was in college and I was really drunk <laughs> and I misspelled it my own name yes. uh, <laughs> that's where we're at uh, so <laughs> one thing before we go I meant to mention this at the top I'll mention it at the top next time but we have an email now if you want to contact us you can email streamtheorypod at gmail.com with I don't know why you'd want to email us questions uh, comments shows you want us to check out shows you want us to discuss check out mention that kind of thing uh, but there it is if you want to contact us for any reason email to streamtheorypod at gmail.com and i will let jackson uh read it <laughs> we'll do dramatic <laughs> readings of all of your uh, yes all of your <laughs> all right talk to you guys next month all right see ya